Thank you for choosing to listen to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. Each of these messages were given by various faculty, staff, and friends of Emmaus Bible College. To view each series as a whole, or for more information about similar Emmaus ministries, please visit concerninghim.com. That's C-O-N-C-E-R-N-I-N-G-H-I-M.com. How big of a deal is hypocrisy? All sin, of course, is evil, and we should never make light of it. But if we were to rank the deadliest sins from the most vile to the least, I wonder where would we put hypocrisy? Now, our episode won't be able to comprehensively answer this question, but we will see that hypocrisy is a much bigger deal than most people think. If we were to think of a really bad person, someone say, you would never want your daughter to date, I imagine most people wouldn't put hypocrisy as something that would describe a stereotypical evil person. But in our text for today, we will see how mistaken we really are. We will be in Matthew 23, and this functions as the counterpart to Matthew 5, where we read the Beatitudes. There, Jesus stood on top of a mountain, literally the mountain, and like Moses, he gives the law to the people after having fasted for 40 days. The book of Deuteronomy records his last speech before the people enter the land. It ends with having half the people stand on Mount Gerizim and half on Mount Ebal. One group pronounces blessings and the other curses. And the idea is that after having heard the law, the people then are to choose. Do they want life or death? Blessings or curses? Will they obey or disobey? Well, Matthew's version of the Beatitudes focuses on the blessings back there in chapter 5, whereas Luke's version records the balancing woes. But it's been well argued that Matthew has not completely removed the woes. He's just relocated them uh, to our text in front of us. The Beatitudes gives us the blessings, and here in chapter 3, we have Jesus' woes. And this corresponds to Matthew's keen interest in Moses' typology, who also presented blessings and woes or curses to the people. But this line of thinking... uh, is confirmed by an allusion to Deuteronomy 32:11 in Matthew 23:38. The bit about wanting to gather people together as a hen gathers her chicks echoes Moses's end to Deuteronomy, when God quote like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that flutters over its young, spreading out its wings, catching them, bearing them on its pinions. The Lord alone guided them; no foreign god was with them. But the text goes on to say that the people rebelled against the Lord, and so God will destroy them. Thus, the eight Beatitudes of Matthew 5 find their counterpart in the seven woes of Matthew 23. In fact, some manuscripts include uh, verse 14, which you'll notice is missing in a lot of newer translations, and this would bump the number of woes up to a corresponding eight. However, the evidence is not in favor of its inclusion, and uh, the evidence suggests that it was probably added later. Now, the seven woes are broken up into four groups. The first two come out with an ominous judgment that the scribes and Pharisees are not only going to hell, but are leading people to hell. 
The second two, woes three to four, present practical examples of the Pharisees' shortcomings that demonstrate why they are so uh, spiritually and morally bankrupt. The third set, woes five to six, are full of imagery to describe the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. And then woe seven stands as the climax. Just like the last beatitude pronounced a blessing on those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, uh, just like the prophets, so too this last woe uh, describes the scribes and Pharisees as those who persecute the prophets and who kill Jesus' followers. This last woe also parallels the first woe in having a strong sense of uh, a, a message of condemnation to hell. Each are presented in the second person, uh, and since we do not read that uh, anything that would suggest that they have left the scene since chapter 22, we are probably to imagine that they are actually here, listening to these accusations. And yet, with all this negative message of judgment, one of the darkest uh, pronouncements of judgment in the whole New Testament, this tragic chapter ends on an incredible message of hope. So with that basic overview in mind, let's read our text. Matthew 23, starting in verse 13. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves, nor allow those who would enter to go in. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Woe to you blind guides who say, If anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, If anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So, whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, Hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, If we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding blood of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers. 
you serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore, I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. As I said earlier, Jesus comes out swinging in the first couple woes. It's harder to imagine a harsher message of condemnation than to say that they shut the door to the kingdom. In contrast to Peter, who has the keys of the kingdom and and opens it up. The problem is not so much their zeal. After all, they travel across sea and land to proselytize. Though it's hard to know if Jesus has in mind a proselytization of uh, Gentiles to Judaism Uh, the efforts of which is debated by scholars, or proselytization of Jewish people to their particular approach. But in any regard, uh, wherever they come from, where they end up is disastrous. Jesus says, twice a son of hell, or Gehenna. Now, whatever this expression means, one thing is obvious. A lot of religious zeal has gone into making someone's situation no better, but worse. This is an ominous warning. Not all conversions are good. The person may become more zealous, more excited about religion. But as Paul warns in Romans 10, zealous but not according to knowledge. Like the Lord Jesus, we need to to warn people that not all that glitters is gold, uh, which is especially offensive in an age like ours. But the fact remains that religious devotion and fervor can result in people still being lost and, in some way, even more deserving of hell. Now, not all Pharisees uh, were were alike, um, but this overall portrayal is worth considering. It loudly answers our initial question, how big of a deal is hypocrisy? Well, this is how Jesus here describes the Pharisees, and and, and to follow them in this regard is to become a son of hell. Woes 3 to 4 in in Matthew 23, 16 to 24, bring up practical examples of foolish behavior of the Pharisees. Woe number 3 is proportionately very long. It takes up seven verses, whereas the others are usually only about one or two. That the idea is that they allow for loopholes by playing on the seriousness of the thing by which they swear. If one swears by something less valuable, then the promise is not as binding, if binding at all, as if one had sworn by something more valuable. One can easily see why this is brought up as an illustration of hypocrisy, uh, Jesus' chief complaint against the Pharisees. And yet, you know, this doesn't really explain the length Notice that the examples that Jesus elaborates reveals how the Pharisees value things in the temple. 
The problem is that, ironically, they don't take the temple seriously enough. They devalue it with their oaths. There's a setup here for what follows. Jesus affirms that at this point, when he condemns the Pharisees, God is in fact dwelling in the temple. And so their actions are an affront to the one who lives there. Their failure is so significant because their responsibility is so significant. And yet, as we see at the end of the chapter, uh, this is not how things conclude. Because of their hypocrisy, God will leave the temple and it will become desolate. So, Jesus camps out on woe number three for so long because it particularly demonstrates how the Pharisees and scribes have been irresponsible with the very thing with which they were entrusted. Woes number five and six provide illustrations of how foolish this behavior is. Both center around the idea that they appear good on the outside, but uh, on the inside they are full of sin. Woe number five accuses them of being full of greed and self-indulgence, a sister sins of what we read in woe number six, which accuses them of being full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. However, the latter woe prepares us for the next bit about the tombs. First, the Pharisees are like tombs, beautiful on the outside, but dead on the inside. Then, in the seventh woe, Jesus plays on that same image and says in so many words, actually, as long as we're talking about tombs, tombs aren't all bad. You yourselves have made some pretty good-looking ones for some important people. But actually, you are the murderers. People often view history with rose-colored glasses, and Jesus here warns of how easy it is, especially for religious leaders, to deceive themselves into thinking that they would have been on the right side. But the only difference between them and the villains of the history books is time. Moreover, Jesus portrays the guilt of this corrupt family as about to reach a breaking point. God is patient, yes, long-suffering, yes, all-loving, yes, but there is a time when a people group crosses a line and judgment becomes inevitable. They have rejected him now, but there is a coming day, in the words of Paul, when all Israel shall be saved. Everything stands or falls with one's response to Jesus. If a person will turn in genuine repentance from hypocrisy and self-sufficiency and turn to Jesus, as dark as their former estate was, this person will go from woe to blessed because they bless him who comes in the name of the Lord. Thank you for listening to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. This ministry is possible because of the generous contributions from our partners around the world. For more information about partnering with us, please visit emmaus.edu partner.